0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Easter at Coastal. How y'all doing this morning? You guys doing well? Hey, we are so glad that you are here. By the way, my name is TJ and I'm one of the pastors here and uh, we're really excited about this day. This is a a big monumental day for those of us that are part of the the faith of following Jesus Christ. And so... uh, if If you're a guest here with us, welcome, man. We're so, so excited that you're here. Uh, and And I want you to know that at coastal, we're we're about two things. We're about Jesus, and we're about people. And so we we love Jesus and we love people. We're glad that you're here with us today. We hope you enjoy the service. We hope that you'll come back and and spend some time with us on on another weekend as well. And so uh, this weekend is is a really big deal for those of us that call ourselves Christians. And I realize, that not everybody in this room identifies with Jesus and identifies with the Christian faith. and But this weekend and this event, this idea of Easter, is really, really unique for a number of different reasons. Uh, one of those things is, is the fact that Christianity is the only uh, world religion or major uh, religious movement that can, is really thought of and really established on a single day. I mean, Christianity is really all about this moment where everything changes at this one point in time. In fact, the Easter story is about the fact that uh, these friends uh, are completely heartbroken, are going to see the tomb of their friend that was just killed, uh, and he wasn't just killed, he was, he was given a, a, a murderer's death, just beaten and crucified on a cross, and they, as they show up to the tomb, they're given a report, that the tomb is empty. And the fact that the tomb is empty uh, is a bit of news that changes everything. And it wasn't just the fact that the tomb was empty. It wasn't just the fact that Jesus wasn't there. It was about the fact of where Jesus was. And what we find out throughout scripture is that Jesus was actually out appearing to people. He appears to Mary who is extremely fearful, and he says to her, listen, Mary, you don't have to fear any longer. Like, in fact, you don't even have to fear death because I'm alive. He appears to another guy named Peter and says, listen, Peter, I know you're living with a lot of shame. I know you're living with a lot of guilt in your life, but you don't have to live that way any longer. Listen, I know that you denied me three times and you screwed up and you messed up and you're gonna continue to do those things, but you don't have to live with any of that guilt or that shame any longer. He appears to a guy named Thomas who is struggling with some doubt and and he says, listen, Thomas, you don't have to doubt any longer. I'm gonna instill faith. I'm gonna instill hope. I'm gonna instill peace in your life and so you don't have to doubt any longer. He appears to the disciples as a group and says, listen, you don't have to fear life and you don't have to fear death any longer. What I've done supersedes life and it supersedes death. And so the message of Easter isn't just about the fact that the tomb was empty and it wasn't just about the fact that Jesus wasn't in the tomb. It was about the fact that he was everywhere else. He wasn't confined any longer to the dimensions of what we understand. And and." It wasn't just there, and it wasn't just then. As Christ followers, and I understand this is going to be hard for you to believe if you don't believe in Jesus, but we don't believe that, that was just, this story is just limited to those people and to that time. We believe that Jesus is present here in our life today, that he is moving with power and grace and mercy, and he wants to fill our lives with an abundant amount of purpose if we'll just find him in these moments. And so what I want to do today is I just want to jump into the Easter story in John chapter 20. If you want to turn to your Bibles to John chapter 20 and and typically what happens on Easter is is every pastor in America, probably in the entire world, tries to come up with some really really creative way to retell the story of Easter and uh and at the end of the day, we always come back to the main message. And so, instead of trying to do that this year and trying to blow your mind with creativity or some amazing story, what I want to do is I just want to read the Easter story to us. And, and, and I, I just want us to see that in the midst of this story, there is some amazing hope. There is some amazing grace. There is some amazing peace that all of us can experience. And this story just literally stands on its own. And so... Um, so we're gonna do that, and, and by the way, if you're a guest here with us, uh, as you walked in, you received a worship guide that looked like this. Inside of there are some notes that look like this, and uh, if you wanna follow along, you're more than welcome to do that. There's some fill in the blanks there. Uh, you, you can follow along, fill in those blanks. Uh, if you don't wanna do that, you can use this to play games, like you wanna play some tic-tac-toe. If you don't think this is entertaining or interesting, you, you just entertain yourself. Some people, they like to try to fill in the blanks ahead of time and guess what I'm going to say, if you can do that. Listen, you can do whatever you want. We're just glad that you're here today. So John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, it says this, before the sun had risen on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene made a trip to the tomb where his body was laid to rest. In the darkness, she discovered the covering that had been rolled away. She darted out of the garden to find Simon Peter, the dearly loved disciple, to deliver the startling news. Now, I just wanna stop right there because there is a phrase right there that is really interesting to me. This idea that, When Mary arrives at the tomb, it was startling news to them to find out that the tomb was empty. Listen, none of the disciples, none of Jesus' friends were expecting the tomb to be empty. It's not like they were there on Sunday morning before the sun had risen and were like, 10, 9, 8, it's about to go down, 7. You know, they weren't anticipating this moment. In fact, they were a little freaked out over this moment. And so there's this startling news. And so Mary continues and she says, they have taken the body of our Lord and we cannot find him. When Simon Peter finally arrived, he went into the tomb and observed the same. The cloth that covered his face appeared to have been folded and carefully, folded carefully in place, not with the linen cloths, but to the side. After Peter pointed this out, the other, the other disciple who had arrived long before Peter also entered the tomb and based on what he saw, faith began to well up inside of him. And I love that phrase right there, faith began to well up inside of him. And my prayer for our coastal family and my prayer for you that are guests here with us today is that over the next few minutes, that in somehow, in some way, that this story would speak to you and that hope and faith would start to well up inside of you that you would have a hope that is beyond the situation that you're facing today. And and, and listen, I I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't have any idea what is happening and what's robbed you of faith and what's stolen your joy or what circumstances have just kind of captured your mind right now, but I do know this. You probably weren't expecting them and they've kind of freaked you out a little bit. And so my prayer is, is that over the next few moments that, that the spirit of god would rise up inside of you and start to instill some hope and start to instill some faith inside of you because here's kind of the bottom line for today if you want to write this down this message of easter changed everything the me- the message of easter changed everything for them and i believe that the message of easter can change everything for you today. And when you begin to understand the miracle that happened and how that miracle applies to your life, I believe that this faith will well up inside of you and this hope will arise. So we'll continue the story in verse 11. It says, Mary, however, stood outside the tomb, sobbing, crying, and kneeling at its entrance. As she cried, two heavenly messengers appeared before her, sitting where Jesus's head and feet had been laid. And they said, dear woman, why are you weeping? She replied, they have taken away my Lord and I cannot find him. After uttering these words, she turned around to see Jesus standing before her, but she did not recognize him. Now, when I was reading this story, I've probably read this story hundreds of times in, in my lifetime, and... Uh, This was the first time that this phrase or this idea that Jesus was behind Mary and Mary didn't recognize her, recognize him, just kind of jumped out at me. And so I started asking myself the question, like, why in the world would somebody who knows Jesus really well not be able to recognize Jesus? Like, what was going on? And so I'm kind of a nerd. And so I decided, man, I'm going to go spend the next couple of hours and I'm going to study commentary and I'm going to study scholars and I'm going to see what they have to say. And basically, they, they came up with some pretty logical reasons as to why Mary wouldn't recognize Jesus. One of them said, well, earlier in the scripture, it says that, that she was crying, and because she was crying, there were tears in her eyes, and that kind of blurred her vision. So when she saw Jesus, she couldn't really make out exactly who she was, and I was like, oh, that's a that's a pretty logical answer. Another, another scholar pointed out that it, it says that it was early before the sun rose, so that means it was still dark out, so when she looks, maybe... He's just a darkly lit figure, and so therefore, because it's still dark out, she can't completely recognize him because of the shadows, and and so that made a lot of sense to me, and so, but I kind of came up with my own conclusion, but before I do that, uh, I thought that I would just have a little interaction with you guys real quick. Are you guys ready for some interaction? Okay, on the count of three, I need everybody who knows for a fact that they are colorblind to raise their hand. One, two, three, raise your hand, raise it up high. Okay, a couple. raise it up high, it's okay, raise it up high. There's no, no shame in that. Okay, a couple of y'all know that, know that you're colorblind. Here's what I know, is that there's a whole lot more of you that are colorblind than the four people that raised their hands. I know this statistically, because it said, statistically speaking, one in 12 men is colorblind. So that would explain a lot of the outfits that you guys are wearing right now that I see. Colorblind statistically speaking, only one out of every 200 women are colorblind, so that's why I only saw one or two women's hands. Y'all are a lot more truthful than the men are, apparently. So, uh, But it's interesting that, that many of us aren't aware that we're colorblind, and so I thought that this Sunday morning, if you didn't learn anything else, you might learn that you're colorblind, and that might not give you much hope, but it will give you some insight, okay? So I thought we'd do a little test. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna show you a series of three pictures Uh, They're going to be these round objects and inside of these objects is the number If you can't read that number there is a good chance you have some form or fashion of color blindness. So the first one looks like this 42 42 if you don't read 42 right there. Hello All right, let me give you another one. Here's another one 74. Hey, don't give it away for those other people. They're like, oh, yeah, 74. I saw that, you know (laughs) Give them a second. Give them a second. Let their eyes adjust. How about the last one? 73. 73, Now, if you didn't see those numbers, you are a statistic, okay? <laughs> now, I never really thought much uh, uh, about colorblindness um, and what the world must look like for somebody who is colorblind, so I thought I would show you some pictures of what a colorblind person sees and what the reality is. So here's some balloons. This is what it looks like for somebody that's colorblind. Here's what they really look like. That's crazy, isn't it? Here, How about this? Here's some trees in in the fall. Here's what it really looks like. All those reds and different things in it. Uh, This one, this is the grocery store for a colorblind person. Uh, Going to Publix is a chore because this is what it really looks like. Man, if you work at Publix, help some colorblind people out. Spread out those those fruits and vegetables. How about this was a uniform for a Jets and Bills game a couple of years ago on Monday Night Football. This is what that actually looks like. It's crazy. If you love football, you are struggling that night. You're like, what, what, what team am I cheering for? When I thought about colorblindness, I literally thought the biggest thing that somebody might struggle with is like, does my shirt match my pants, you know? And uh, we were recently a group of us from our worship team and myself. We went down to Cuba to do some some big conferences and worship nights uh, down in Havana and another city. And and as we were in Cuba, I, I realized that that Cuba is a lot like Wynwood down in Miami, except just on steroids. There's like more color. And more vibrancy, there's there's more there's more things to look at than almost any place I've ever been in my life. And so we are traveling in the city of halana and, and making our way to another location. And I was sitting there with one of the guys that's on our worship team, and uh, and I was like, "Hey, man, do you do you see that? Look at that? Isn't that amazing? That is like the the, the greatest thing I've ever seen." And this, this guy looks over and he goes, "Man, that sure is green, isn't it?" And I'm like, "No, it's not green. It's blue." And I'm like, do you you not see that? He's like, what are you talking, it's green. And I'm like, no, no, that's blue. And I started going around the car. Who else, what color is that? And everybody's like, that's blue. And and come to find out, this guy had been programming and running our lights for the last two years and the dude is (laughs) colorblind. Some of y'all that have been complaining about lights, now you know what the problem has been. What's crazy about this is as I started talking to him, which, by the way, he doesn't run our lights anymore. Uh, It's good if you could actually see what colors they are. But uh, I I, I actually saw, um, and I just confirmed it again because he said it to me before. I I, I saw him before the last service in Pompano, and I said, hey, Steve, what color are Adrian's eyes? And he goes, bro, they're green. And I'm like, they're actually blue. (laughs) This guy's been married for 15 years and thinks his wife's eyes are green, and they're blue, come on. I didn't think about it. What I can see clearly, he can't see at all. And here's why I think Mary doesn't recognize Jesus. The reason Mary doesn't recognize Jesus and the reason so many of us don't recognize Jesus is because we're not looking for him. We're not looking for him. When Mary goes to the tomb, she is looking for a dead Jesus. She's not looking for an alive and breathing and miracle working Jesus. And therefore, all she finds is the Jesus that she looked for, which has vanished. And I think part of the problem that we have as Christ followers and part of the problem that that people have in general is that we live with this spiritual colorblindness in our life where everything is muted and everything is numbed down and we're kind of losing the vibrancy of life because we're not seeing Jesus in the middle of our circumstances. We're not seeing Jesus in the middle of our life because we're not looking for him. We're not looking for him in our relationships. We're not looking for him at our workplace. We're not looking at him when we're dealing with our children. We're not looking at him when we're going through our finances. We're not looking for him. And so what happens? The difficulties of life come and we just become numb and we become colorblind to them. And this impacts us in so many different ways because what happens for a lot of us is we're looking through a lens of guilt and shame. And because we've messed up in life and because we've screwed up in life, therefore, every situation that we see is not seen through the lens of Jesus. has seen through our guilt and shame. And so, therefore, everything is heaping guilt and shame on every single one of us. For others of us, we're looking through the lens of fear, and therefore we live our lives with this constant question of what if, what if this happens, what if that happens, what if I lose my job, what if, what if I never find that special someone, what if my kids don't grow up and follow Jesus, what if I don't have enough money at the end of the month, and we're living in constant fear because of the lens. Others of us, we're living with this constant, constant uh, lens of our circumstances where all we see are our problems. There's a problem here, there's a problem there, there's a problem with our car, there's a problem with our boss. There are problems everywhere in our lives is because we have this filter of spiritual colorblindness. And what happens is our life just begins to feel so dull and so black and so gray and what happens is it starts to become numb and we start to medicate. It's what we do. And so you think, man, just, just one more drink just, just one more TV show tonight to escape. Just one more vacation to get away from my current reality. Just one more shopping trip on my credit card is going to make me feel good about myself. Just one more whatever I have to say, whatever I have to do, whatever I have to eat, whatever I have to think in order to not think about the reality of our lives. And the message of Easter, and this is good news, is that you and I, we don't have to live a mediocre life. You don't have to live a spiritually empty and colorblind life. In fact, you've been given the opportunity to be invited into this adventure of a lifetime. And the adventure of a lifetime only begins to happen when you grasp the life that you've been called to. And the only way you can truly grasp the life that you've been called to is to understand who the person is that called you to that life and what he did so that you could have that life. And so the, for the next few minutes, what I wanna do is I wanna help you understand what Easter is. And, and a lot of us, we think that Easter is, is getting dressed up in some nice duds and, and going and spend time with friends and family and eating good food and, and, and hunting Easter eggs and eating chocolate. And those are all awesome things and I'm gonna do all of those today. but there's something so much more to it. And so Easter for you and I is this incredible, incredible reminder that there is forgiveness from your past. There's forgiveness from your past and some of you need to hear that desperately today. Some of you are consumed in this life with the fact that you have screwed up. And I just wanna say to you, welcome to the human race. We all screw up. We just screw up in different ways. Maybe some of you have screwed up royally as a parent. Maybe some of you have damaged some relationships with some moral impropriety. Maybe some of you have given in to some lustful desires. Maybe some of you have have an anger issue that has played itself out and it's embarrassed you and a lot of other people in life. Maybe greed has taken over your life and destroyed your business. Maybe you're battling an addiction and it's been humiliating for you. But we all struggle with it. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was at our Pompano campus after our fourth service and I was talking to a young lady who came up to me and she said, hey, Pastor Tito, would you pray for me? I was like, sure, I'd. I'd love to pray for you. I was like, what can I pray for you about? She's like, I'm getting ready to go into rehab tomorrow. And I was like, man, that's that's an incredible way to recognize that you're dealing with something and getting some help. She's like, no, 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 but you don't understand. This is my fourth time going into rehab. And you could just see this guilt and this shame that was in her life that she just kept repeating this cycle. And some of you know exactly where that feels because that's exactly what you're dealing with too. And I want you to hear this today. There is nothing that you can do or have ever done in your life that is beyond God's ability to cleanse and forgive you. There is not a single thing that you have ever done or will do that is beyond his ability to cleanse and forgive you. And because Jesus died on the cross for the redemption of your sin and went to the grave, not only defeating the power of death, but also the penalty of sin, every one of us can experience forgiveness today. I was thinking about how can I explain this to you, and I thought the best way to explain this is is, uh, my wife, her name is Shayla, she is the oldest of six kids, uh, and and a lot of people are like, dang, that's a lot of kids in her family, and I asked her dad, his his name is Paul one time, I was like, Paul, man, what's the deal, do you love kids, and he's like, nope, he's like, I love my wife, and I was like, that's a good answer, you know. (laughs) So Shayla and I got married at 21 years old, which meant all of our siblings were still in high school and still growing up, and one of her middle sisters uh, got pregnant at, at 15 and had a baby at 16. And so because we all lived within a block of one another, it, it kind of became this little boy was born. His name was Avery. And so we started raising Avery kind of by committee of our family. And and so because Shayla and I didn't have kids, Avery kind of became one of our kids. And every single one of us had a, a part to play in, in raising Avery. And, and I'll never forget that as Avery was growing up, he'd come and spend days at our house. And we, we'd do all these incredible things, and I remember as, as Avery started to get to about eight, nine months old, he started trying to stand up on his own. Parents, you remember when your kids started trying to stand up on their own, and they're holding on the tables, and they're holding on to couches, trying to hold there, and and Avery was a little uncoordinated, and, and I think that that Avery accidentally took his first step, you know, that first time he just kind of lost his balance and t- took that first step and, and kind of fell down, but it was the first step, and so it was at our house, so we were going nuts. We were like taking out real cameras and taking pictures you guys remember that we had go develop the film some of you young people you're like, what is that no iPhone yeah it is back in the real days okay and so like we were so excited like he took his first step we're calling up on the rotary phone like shh, shh, you know like it, like it's way back in the day and so uh like, you, and he just took his first step, and man, we were celebrating about that. And then I remember the next couple of days, he started taking that first step, and then a couple of days later, he took two steps, and we were all excited about it. A couple of weeks later, he walked across the room. You guys remember this as a parent? It's like the joy. Like you're like so excited. Yes, my kid is walking. Then like three months later, you're like, I wish he wouldn't walk, you know. It's like. It's awesome. Every parent is like, that's exact, I feel like that with my 15-year-old, you know, and so. And we captured all those moments, you know. We are so excited about all those moments. As I was remembering that, you know what I couldn't remember? I couldn't remember all the falls. I couldn't remember all the times he tried to take a step and just face-planted. Or the times that I know that he had to have hit his head on a table or something and had a big one. I can't remember a single one of those. All I remember is celebrating the progress. And I want to create an image for you here today. That some of you need really, really desperately. Your heavenly father. He celebrates your steps and he heals your falls. Because this is what I know is, I know that every time Avery fell, we we pick him up, wipe his little bottom off, kind of pat him on the butt and send him off again. And I believe that every time we're going through life, that our heavenly father is celebrating the progress that we're making because that's who he is. And every time we fall, he comes up right beside us picks us up, dusts us off, and sends us right back out. Now, I understand that for some of you, that's hard for you to believe. And honestly, as a pastor, it's hard for me to believe too. Because when I think about God, I I think all the time that, that God would love some future version of me way better than he loves the current version. Like if I could just get my life all together and put together uh, even more than it is right now, that God would somehow, some way, some form, some fashion love me more, and that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, Scripture clearly teaches that God could not love you any more or any less than what he currently does right now. So there are no limits attached to his grace. And some of you, you need, to, you need to understand that because a lot of us, we think that, that man, there's, we got to do all these things in order for God to love us. And I want you to know this today. The moment that you attach strings to the grace, it is no longer grace in your life. The moment you start adding things on to what you need to do in order for God to love you, there is no longer grace. You've missed the beauty of grace. You can't live a perfect life. I can't live a perfect life. The only one that could live a perfect life did, and his name was Jesus Christ. And when he went to the cross and he paid that spiritual death that we couldn't pay and he paid that moral price that we couldn't pay so that we could have the gift of salvation in our lives and experience grace and mercy. And it's a free gift that we received because of what he did on that cross and what he did on this day when the grave was empty. And so I hope you know that Easter, because of Easter, there is forgiveness from your past. doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been, there is forgiveness from your past. And secondly, there is hope for your future. There is hope for your future, the tremendous amount of hope. And in this story, it kind of it happens in this story, skipping down to verse 19, it says, On that same evening... The followers gathered together behind locked doors in fear that some of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were still searching for them. Now, what's interesting there is is, uh, these believers, the disciples, they've gone and they've locked themselves inside of this room. And the reason they've locked themselves inside of this room is because they think that the Jewish leaders think that they stole the body, and so therefore they're coming to get them. And and so they literally lock themselves within these four walls. They're like, we're going to be safe in here. And why I think that is interesting is because that is exactly what fear does. Usually it's more figurative than this, but what fear does is it builds these walls in your life. In fact, I would say that fear always establishes limits in your life. And so if you fear outside, you'll stay inside. If you fear heights, you'll stay low. If you fear people, you'll stay alone. If you fear... uh, failure, you just won't ever try. Fear always establishes limits in your life. And in this case, they've literally locked themselves within these four walls. And they said, hey, this is all we're going to be and who we are. And this is where we got to stay. And it continues on and it says, and out of nowhere, Jesus appeared in the center of the room and he said, may each one of you be at peace. As he was speaking, he revealed the wounds in his hands Inside And the disciples began to celebrate as it sank in that they were really seeing the Lord. Now, what's interesting is, is this story is throughout multiple uh, accounts in Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Job. It's called the Gospels, and it, it's given in multiple accounts. And in almost every single account, there is this uh, implication that Jesus literally walks through the wall that is surrounding them and walks into the center of the room. And I thought that that that's such a great illustration of what Jesus does. Jesus walks right through the fears and the insecurity and the circumstances and the the difficulties of our life and walks right into the middle of our circumstances and our situation. And what he does is he speaks peace over our life. And the moment that he announces peace in your life, fear starts to leave, and peace fills that place. And no matter how much turmoil you may be facing right now and in that moment, he can walk right in and he can say, peace. And at that moment, my friends, he gives us hope. Today, what I want you to know, and this is really, really important, that Jesus died for the redemption of your sins And he was buried in the ground because he was dead. We forget that fact a lot of times. He was dead. And three days later, God the Father brought him back to life, showing us once again his love and his power and his grace and his mercy that is available to every single one of us that can never be taken away. Hope, my friends, changes everything. And so if you're here today and you feel like life is over, You feel like everything is busted and destroyed and could never be put back together again. I wanna tell you to just hold on. Hold on for one second because I'm telling you that Jesus loves to breathe life into lifeless situations. He loves to bring hope into hopeless places and that God is an expert who specializes in resurrections. And maybe you're here today and that kind of hope, that Jesus hope, that Easter hope has never been a reality for your life. Maybe today is the day that you need to begin that journey of faith. And its I realize that it's really easy in this world, especially with so many contradicting messages that are out there. Most people believe that there is a God and that God is good because there is a God and that God is good, we automatically think that in order to have a relationship with a good God, we've got to be good. And so therefore, we're in this constant motion of trying to achieve our way into a relationship with God. And here's what's interesting about that is the Bible never teaches that good people get to heaven. It teaches that forgiven people get to heaven. And maybe today, you're here for the first time and you say, you know what, I want to put my faith and my trust and my hope in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins and for the hope of my future. I would ask that everybody would bow their head and close their eyes and if that's you and maybe you're here and you're struggling with a tremendous amount of hurt or maybe you have shame Or maybe you're just going through some circumstances right now. And in the middle of those circumstances, you're having a hard time finding joy. Or maybe you've tried doing this whole religion thing where you've tried to earn your way to heaven. And at the end of the day, as good as you could be, like you just ended up feeling like a failure. I'm here to tell you today that we have a God that specializes in forgiving us of our pasts and giving us a hope for our future. And maybe today is the day that you need to put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe for the first time, or maybe you've strayed away, and today you need to come back to Him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you on the count of three, I just ask that you just lift your hands. One, two, three. Just go ahead and lift it up high. Man, people all over the place. People all over the place. Pastor Steve, would you...